1: If I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Russ, I am so fired up, man, to have our Aussie brethren, Bryce Robertson, on the show with us today. I mean, this guy was dropping gold nuggets Like I said that on purpose because the guy started in a gold mine, right? Literal
0: gold mine (laughs) he was working in. And you're not talking about the fact that he was in a mobile home park that turned out to be a gold mine. You're actually saying he was digging underground in a mine. Yes. Yeah. Literal, a literal gold mine. (laughs) I've been in a gold mine, by the way. (laughs) Have you ever been in a gold mine? No, I have not. Yeah. There's an interesting fact that I'm going to foul up the actual facts to this, by the way. Okay, but ahead. I was in Colorado. I did the gold mine, went down the old school, like, you know, chain um, elevator thing. Like, this is probably not a smart idea. And one of my kids actually backed <laughs> out. They're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm <laughs> you, you had to put the hard hat on. You go down the mine and, you know, they're taking you through. It's not an active mine anymore. It used to be and one of the things is that they're they're showing you how they were like you know showing you the strains of the ore and talking about how hot you have to heat it up. It's like thousands of degrees you have to heat up to then you know melt it away to the to get to the gold. And the question I have is, who the crap figured that out? Like <laughs> somebody's just like, you know what? I'd have burned this rock. You know, it just looks like this rock would be a good rock to burn. Um, it's going to burn, it's going to heat up. That's going to be a good idea. And all of a sudden, like, wait a second, now it's shiny. This thing's cool. <laughs> I wonder if I could, you know, put that on a tooth. Like, where, where does that, where did that come from? Like, I just don't get that. I know that's so stinking random. It has nothing to do with our podcast day with Bryce Robinson, but that, that just came to my mind. All right, really quickly. What are the, the gold thing. nuggets he dropped for us? Just give us the gold nuggets. <laughs> he, he, here's three my, three of my takeaways and we'll jump into the interview. First, you got to be believing in yourself and getting others to believe in you. Like you mm. said, like having an abundant mindset, finding mentors. Um, and I think that went into him also investing into himself, Joey, that he decided that before I invest into things, into projects, I better understand who I am as an investor and make sure I match that up. And thirdly, you got to design a life that includes the things that you want. And then from the very beginning of this podcast, you're going to hear him talking about location freedom, time freedom, which ultimately all of those things were, I think, the impetus, if you will, to creating financial freedom because he wanted those things so much. He did those things at such an early age. I think it stuck in his, his crawl for a while that he was like, I want to do this. I I want to get after being more free with my time and where I'm traveling. In order, way, an only way to do that as an adult married, you know, like you're going to have to create some financial freedom. And he shares many stories to this podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as we do. And let's jump in right now with our interview with Bryce Robertson.
1: All right folks, you're in for a treat. We have our brother from down under, Bryce Robertson with us today. Bryce, so glad to
0: have you, bro.
2: Thanks, Joey. Great to be here, mate.
0: Yeah, I love the the mate. So I've been doing a little research on you in, in the few minutes we've been chatting, and you're one of the real estate mates, right? That's right. That that's that we, we've interviewed a couple of your other uh, your buddies in this in this space, but for
2: those who don't know who you are, Bryce, give us a little background. Yeah, so um, native of Australia, I got to high school, and realized there was no way I wanted to go to university, so I dropped out of high school. At the time, I had no idea of entrepreneurship or business. At the time, I had no influence in that arena, and then I ended up um, choosing what I thought was the highest-paying blue-collar job, which is welder steel fabricator. So I did a three-year apprenticeship, five-year apprenticeship in three years, and then I ended up in the uh, underground gold mines in Western Australia. And I spent some time out there, saved up a little bit of cash because I had a vision that I wanted to travel the world for six years. So I saved up enough to get started. And in my early 20s, I left Australia and I went over to London, England, which was my first base camp. And I would actually work over there for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, five to seven days a week for three to four month chunk, save up a chunk of cash and then go travel through Europe and then pretty much until my running money ran out, then I would come back. I would work again for another three, four months, go to Africa, come back. And I did that whole UK, Europe and Africa cycle for about three years. I thought I had it dialed. I thought I know how money works. I got it dialed, right? I was clueless at the time. So then um, I wanted to change the scenery. So I went from the UK over to Canada and I planted myself in a little ski village called Fernie in Rocky Mountains in British Columbia, Canada. And uh, about 5,000 people living there. I got into snowboarding and downhill mountain biking. I had no idea, but there was a local coal mines out there. So I had my own little gig out the local coal mines and I was firefighting as well. And because I was doing all of those things, I ended up just consuming most of my time in this mountainous area. I didn't really travel much, which enabled me to save up even more cash. So I could take an 18 month surfing and scuba diving trip down in Central and South America. And in my last six months of that surfing and scuba diving trip, that's when I met my wife, Tiffany, who's a native from California. So naturally we ended up back here in America. And when we came to America, which was by now, was over 10 years ago, we made a commitment with each other that we wanted to recreate this freedom lifestyle that I've been living. But number one, so our money doesn't run out. And number two, so our money actually grows while we're traveling and doing the fun things that we wanna do. So then we went out and we looked at the three main ways that we could make big bucks. And that's owning a business, real estate, or the stock market. And I think cryptocurrencies fits into that stock market category these days too. And so in the beginning, we actually tried our hand at about seven different side hustles. I was doing multi-level marketing, trying to take over a construction business, getting into fix and flips, um, forex trading. I had about seven different things going on and I was having mediocre success. I was spinning plates and I was spreading my energy too thin. And I realized, hey, I need to laser focus on one thing. I knew it was going to be real estate because at the time I had a 20 year background in construction and construction management, but what was it going to be? What was I going to do in real estate? So I looked at all the different asset classes. I looked at single family homes, fix and flips, wholesales, multifamily, mobile home parks, self storage, the whole kit and caboodle. And over and over and over again, mobile home parks kept popping off the page, massive supply and demand in favor for mobile home park owners. Um, You know, high cash flow, excellent tax benefits, tons of appreciation, um, relatively low competition, at least at the time. And I just decided mobile home parks, I'm all in. Throw any other opportunities you want at me, I'm going to say no, because I'm just laser focused on mobile home parks. And of course... As soon as I said that, the universe provided me a whole bunch of other opportunities that weren't mobile home parks testing me to see if I'd say no, and I stuck with it and I said no. And then three months later, uh, I got my first mobile home park under contract. But when I did that, I wasn't in the best circumstances to be able to get that deal across the finish line because I had a negative net worth, I had $2,000 in the bank, and I had unseasoned credit because I hadn't been in the States long enough to build up credit. So I ended up leaning on family and friends um, to bring the capital to the table to get that mobile home park deal closed, and then three months later closed on that deal now when i closed that deal a couple of things happened number one i felt like i was 10 foot tall and i realized I could do things bigger when i do it within a team and the second thing that happened was i realized that there was a massive need for passive investors to invest in deals where they didn't have the time to go out there and find them and manage them like i was doing and so that was the beginning of me working with the syndication model So then fast forward uh, two and a half years later through rinsing and repeating the same business model, my wife and I were fortunate enough to become financially free, retire ourselves from our uh, previous day jobs. And um, yeah, the rest is history.
1: Bryce, are are you serious right now? Like what you just laid out for me was three lifetimes in the last 15 years or so. I mean, this is amazing. To hear somebody going from like this mindset of, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I want to get the biggest paying job so I can have all this freedom. It's like, you, you knew you wanted freedom before you knew how to get it. Mm. And you just started trying your hand at these things. So like Russ, how do you resonate with that? Like, what other people do you, are you talking to that have this kind of mindset
0: right out of high school? Well, very few. The thing here's the, here's the question I have, Bryce. First, of all, I guess I'll give the statement. What I heard was I had two thousand dollars in the bank, I had a negative net worth, and I bought a mobile home park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just not a mindset that most people have, right? I got two thousand dollars in the bank, I a negative net worth, and what's on Netflix tonight is what most people are are responding. Mm-hmm. So, what what gave you that that confidence to take on? an acquisition like that. I know you said, Hey, I've got 20 year background in the construction world. Mm -hmm. I know real estate is an opportunity, but usually somebody says, well, maybe I'll buy a single family property, right? Maybe I'll just own a property first, live in it. That's fine. That's not the route that you went. Like what gave you that, that mindset? What, what made you know
2: that that was available to you? Well, before I answer that, let me go back to before. I actually did believe something like that was, was possible and what the actual mindset change was for me. Um, when, when I got to America, I knew that we wanted to make that change, but I didn't know how to do it yet and I had no idea how it was possible. I thought probably getting some rental properties was the way to go. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm about 20 years deep in my construction industry and I'm just really not digging it. Every day I'm dreading getting out of bed. I don't want to go to work. I go there. I just absolutely despise what I'm doing. I'm completely dissatisfied. I'm emotionally broken. And I come home one day and I had my, my tool bag and my lunchbox. And I walked up the top of the stairs in Huntington beach where we were living at the time. And I said to my wife, I looked at her and she's like, what's wrong? And I just dropped my, dropped my pail and my tool bag. and I just, I can't do this anymore like, I can't live like this. I'm I'm so dissatisfied with what's happening. And she's like, well, cool, just like quit, you know, start something else. And I'm like, I can't do that. That means, and I I came from the mindset that I would have to like start another career over and build up 20 years just to get to where I was. And I was thinking, well, what are my options? I have to go to university. I have to do all these things. And she's like, you can do whatever you want to do. You could be a pastor of a church. You could go do something athletic. You can do whatever you want to do. I don't want to live with you if you're going to be dissatisfied. So you've got to be happy and I'm here to support you. I'm here to support you through that way. Um, So if like she has to work two jobs to be able to help me go through that transitionary period, then she'll do that. And I was like, wow, I never even knew that was possible. Just to knowing that she would support me like that and I never had to lean on it that hard but just knowing that just opened up my mind to a whole new variety of dis- different possibilities and that's when we started going out there and seeking how do we make money in real estate and business in the stock market and through that path I came across self-development and really I had to get my head right first and so I spent about two years digging deep on, um, self-development and improving myself and having the right mindset and understanding abundance and understanding the right money mindset before I actually went out there and was, um, you know, engaging in putting deals on a contract. Wow.
1: So, so what are some of those resources that you remember being the most impactful during that, that part of your journey?
2: Yeah, I read a book by T Harvecker called Secrets of a Millionaire Mind, and um, that actually reprogrammed my money blueprint. I had a money blueprint of earning a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year, and if I was earning anything more than that, I was going to reset the thermostat back down to a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year. So I had to reprogram my money mindset to be a millionaire so that I could handle making that consistently um and i ended up doing trainings with him for about two years and then fast forward you were talking about the real estate mates um t harbecker ended up endorsing our book as well so that was kind of an honor to come full circle on that one
0: well and that's i mean again we have to have an abundant mindset in order to create that i love the fact that you were reading and consuming that information sounds like you're being mentored by someone who had been where you wanted to be Mm -hmm. and and through that process through that self-development time and you've, you've you've thrown your your tube belt and your lunchbox to the side, I'm not gonna do this anymore, did you immediately quit or did you start building your self-development and continue your current job or what did you do in that gap
2: to, to create income? Yeah, it was kind of interesting because I despised what I was doing but I had to crank down even harder on that to get to the next level. So I kept working, I kept working my way up the ladder in the construction industry And then at the same time, I spent almost every other second of my day and weekend just um, researching and getting educated and trying to find deals and working on deals. And I just became absolutely obsessed. And the thing that motivated me wasn't so much that I wanted to become financially free and a millionaire. That was definitely motivating, but it was more motivating to move away from something that I, I wasn't enjoying. I wanted to get away from that, um, you know, the, the ball and chain that I had in the construction industry of dissatisfaction. And so I was super motivated. And I, I had challenges with that because my wife, simultaneously, she wanted financial freedom, but at the same time, she wanted to spend some time with me. So that caused some problems. Um, but in that like two and a half year period of me like completely obsessing, I created financial freedom because I just had a laser focus of, of what my goal was. But Brian, Bryce,
1: I, I want to ask this real quick. You're, you're in the middle of that job that you dislike. What was it specifically, if you could share like some specific things that you were trying to get away from?
2: Oh, like waking up at like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning every day, long hours. Um, it was super dirty, super noisy, very itchy. I had like tons of metal grinding dust over me. I had to wear a, a, a respirator mask for most of the day because I was breathing in welding fumes. Um, it was very bad for my health. I didn't like the environment that I was in or many of the conversations that were happening. It was just not very... Um, positive mindset in, in that environment uh, I, I didn't really like anything about it and one of the things that was really the tipping point for me was I went into the restroom one day I was in there for a couple of minutes and then one of my managers came in and knocked on the door and said hey Bryce you've been more than a couple of minutes come on get out and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, is this like where I'm at in freedom in life? And, um, you know, that was that was definitely, okay, enough's enough.
1: This podcast is amazing, almost too amazing, Russ. There's too many
0: ideas, and I don't know where to get started creating passive income. Well, here's the thing, Joey. I think one of the things you need to consider in that statement is what does it cost you to not know? What does it cost you not to take action? I love the statement that says you don't have to be great to start. You just have to start to be great if you're struggling on where to start you have
1: to know what type of investor you are know your investor dna and if you want to learn more about this you can join us in our passport challenge at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport get started today
0: well tribe you heard what he said he he basically said that he had to have a nine to five in order to to pay the bills but you know, the, the key is, is that what do we do from five to nine? What, where are we taking our extra time in order to do that self-development? And and it's tough, right? But I, it, it sounds like your why was greater than your why not. And that's what we all have to have. We have to create that goal. We have to have a real clear purpose of what we want to accomplish so that we can push through that. So let's kind of fast forward. We got you to that first deal. You, mm-hmm. you close on that first property. What sort of opportunity did that show you? What what, what
2: sort of things started to happen after you did that? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I closed on that deal, I was a mobile home park owner operator. Um, So I started going to real estate meetup groups and I would just go up to the front of the stage and start talking about mobile home parks, throwing myself out there as an educator and learning as I was going along the way, doing deal reviews. And um, I just, I went out there. I was at the time living in Southern California and I went to the networking meetings in LA, Orange County, Riverside County, and San Diego County. And for like two years, I probably went to real estate meetings twice a week for two years, almost in all of those counties. And then after two years, I'd built an investment group of about 500 investors um, and yeah, I just, once I had that first opportunity, it was proven to me, I could do it. So I just went out there and did bigger and better. And I think that the second deal I did was something like four or five times larger than the first deal. And i kind of progressed from there.
1: What were some of the challenges that you learned early on in that process of being a brand new owner operator of a mobile
2: home park? Hmm yeah there was definitely challenges like i had a fear of um you know firing and rehiring people there was early warning stages that i saw with some of my first managers that i was like oh man these guys suck but let me work with it because it's probably going to be challenging to find somebody else and then i eventually ended up having to fire them and then find a new replacement and i'm like oh man i should have done that like ages ago Another one of the things was like outsourcing. I wanted to do everything myself. I wanted to keep everything in house. Nobody can do it as well as I can. But obviously to be able to build and scale, I had to start outsourcing and delegating things to people like bookkeeping and management and other minutiae tasks um, out there. And and a lot of my like judgment and and character building in being a good judge of character in um, people to do joint ventures with, Um, you know, people to have as a manager, as like as my construction crews, you know, I I I, right now, I feel like I am exceptional at understanding who people are and if they're going to be a good fit for what we're looking for. But back then I had to go through that rocky road of figuring all of that out.
0: Are there specific tools that you use outside of your gut? Right. I know as entrepreneurs, we we always tend to lead with our gut, but there's there's specific tools that you do to to verify that your gut's correct?
2: Uh, yeah there is actually I am a definitely a very much a guts orientated decision maker um, it's like I take all of the information and just have some kind of internal decision-making process happening inside um, I lean on other people uh, for their opinion who are more analytical that they can look from the facts and data side of things also if I'm dealing with like people and dealing with staffing we like to use disk profiling um, so that we can find out if their personality type is the type of personality for the time ask that we're going to throw at them. Um, they're probably some of the main lights. Uh,
1: I wanted to actually, I'm glad you brought that up because the DISC profile is what we based our investor DNA profile that everybody goes through our Pathfinder course. So they they've set their, their plan or their goal, right? In the first step, they have a vision of what financial freedom looks like and then they take the Pathfinder and in that first step in the Pathfinder course, they find out what sort of investor they are right? What are the, the things that they love about certain passive income streams and things that would be a challenge for them based on that disc profile. Um, can you relate to that in terms of the early stages when you were doing all this self-development, was there something that kept kind of drawing you to mobile home parks in particular, or in this case, like you mentioned teamwork Mm -hmm. as like a really important aspect of your, of what was drawing you to this, like was there some other things you learned about your personal investor DNA that led you down that path?
2: Yeah, I suppose I was unconscious of it at the time. But what was actually really happening is I am uh, like a hero archetype that loves like a big challenge and loves to lead. And so, you know, I was, I was starting out trying my hand at like single family fix and flip deals I just wasn't getting juiced on it. I needed like, Hey, give me a mobile home park. That is just, almost impossible for me to close on because that's what I'm going to succeed at. And it was interesting. I I tried my hand at tons of single family deals and I wasn't having success. Give me a mobile home park deal that looked like I wasn't going to close and I did it because I like those bigger challenges. And then I also um, realized as I was growing and expanding that I'm not the guy to deal with like the minutiae management and all those little things. I'm like the big visionary guy that like herds all of the people together brings the concept gets it started ignites the fire and then i go and ignite another fire over here um and so i kind of like unconsciously and then became more and more conscious of that as i was moving along so if you as you've done the disc for yourself what is your dominant trait um i i am very high on dominance and influence and uh, so 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 a di D and
0: I, yeah, 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 and I, I hear that that low C in there, right? <laughs> I, I want to hand it off to other people. I want to <laughs> watch them follow up with the details, which that's good, right? Because that's as you're listening to Bryce talk, you're you may have already taken that investor DNA, and you're trying to say, you know, do I do I have similarities in that? Do I have that dominant trait? Do I do I want to see others? succeed by handing them the opportunity to to prove it by, by doing it. So once you, once you did that deal, talk about some of the other deals that followed that.
2: Yeah, I went out, I, you know, my first deal was about 40 spaces. My second deal was, um, it would have been 200 spaces. Um, a lot of infill, a lot of filling lots. I think we had something to somewhere between 30 to 60 lots to fill. I think we had like, you know, 30 vacant lots to fill, but then we had a bunch of other people that moved out. We did tons of remodels at that um, mobile home community, lots of construction, um, added some water meters, build back the utilities, really cranked up the NOI. Um, And then just going out and rinsing repeating that type of business model in other mobile home parks, Um, doing deals, anything from like, you know, 40 spaces to 300 spaces. Um, With similarities of tons of upside in them because we need to fill vacant spaces, fill vacant homes, increase rents, build back utilities, um, a lot of poorly managed or underutilized mobile home parks. So basically what I do is I, I fix and flip mobile home parks, but instead of it taking like, you know, six months, it takes probably, you know, three to six years
1: gotcha and then so that's led you into other sites other types of deals outside of mobile home parks right mm-hmm. before we started talking you were mentioning some of those can you walk us through where that kind of has led
2: yeah so you know my wife and i on the side we were doing some um single single family um short-term rentals um we got in very early in the game and um we're, we're crushing it in that space we still are Um, But we're not as bullish on that as we used to be. It used to be the wild, wild west back when we got in there. Um, And then so, you know, bringing mobile home parks to the table and I've got my investor group and at the time probably about like 700 people in it. And I'm realizing, hey, we're a little bit short on mobile home park deals. I'm out here looking to place some of my cash and some other investments that I think are sound. How about I bring some of these investments to my investor group just to fill in some gaps and give them some diversity for periods that we don't have opportunities to bring to the table? And we brought to the table multifamily apartments um, and then we ended up bringing to the table uh, automatic telemachine investments. Uh, Bitcoin mining funds, which we're actually doing a quite a few of those now. Um, we've got some Bitcoin telemachines coming up soon with our same operating partners as the uh, teller machines and uh data center income funds debt validation a few different types of investments but with those investments we're not the main operator we leave it up to the guys who specialize in that i've been out there networking with all of these people over the years looking for investments for myself building relationships with different operators some of which i've built relationships with for 10 years before we started doing business together and um and then i've personally invested and then bring that to our group and then we have a whole bunch of diversity we still main focus on mobile home parks and self-storage our partners specialize in what they specialize in depending on which asset class we're talking about and then basically to our investor group now we can bring a smorgasbord of different investments And uh, one thing that I I probably haven't mentioned so far, which is very important about what we do and what we bring to the table, is we're a recession-resistant investment firm. Uh, And I'm out there studying macroeconomics as much as I can, predicting the highest probabilities and possibilities of what could potentially happen in the coming years. And I think that's especially important right now. And so we're taking that into consideration when we're underwriting our deals and and underwriting our mobile home parks, and we're adding like 300 basis points points to our refinance interest rates and 300 basis points to our exit cap rates we're doubling, tripling, sometimes quadrupling our construction costs and timelines to mitigate for all of the things that are currently happening and what I believe is gonna happen in the future. And we do the same thing when we're looking at the other investments we're bringing to the table. There's some investments we've brought to the table in the past that, in the current economic cycle of where we really are right now, I would not bring those investments to the table. Um, Right now, as we're speaking, we're up against about 16% price inflation So that means after tax, if we're not making at least 16% after tax, we're not even breaking even with inflation. So now we're looking to go a little bit more further out on the risk curve and find higher profit deals that are going to be able to not only meet inflation, but exceed that, provide profits with tax benefits. Um, in what we think is going to be a relatively safe environment compared to all of the stuff that's going on. So that's really what our main focus is.
0: And a, a lot of good stuff there, a lot of wisdom in studying the macro part, right? I think sometimes we get so narrow and focused on the specific deal itself, we can miss what's potentially happening in the world. You, you said a second ago before we got into that, that you were evaluating operators that a lot of these other things outside of your niche that you weren't focused in Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that. How do you evaluate operators? Because I think that's something that many of our listeners are trying to figure out as part of the the investment process, right? When we're, we don't have the time, we got more money than we have time. We can't spend that, um, you know, effort and time. So what is it that we should be asking operators? How do we know? Because we can't just look at the numbers on the page. People, anybody can put numbers on the page. How do you evaluate an operator?
2: yeah that's a good point i appreciate that ross you know i think less than 50 percent of a decision of if we want to move forward with an investment is on the investment itself and of course it has to pass our criteria the investment itself but much more importantly we're looking at the operator because an a a good operator can take a very poor asset and manage it effectively and be very profitable but a bad operator can take an excellent investment run it into the ground so what we're looking for is track record that's something we're definitely looking for. How have they matched up historically to what they've projected and how they've actually performed? Do they meet or exceed what they say they're going to do? If they've got a good track record of that, that's, that's a good thing. Um, in addition to that, Uh, Another thing that is really good is how long have they been doing it for and how well versed are they and are they doing specifically this or are they doing like 10 different asset classes, a whole bunch of different investment models, or are they just specializing in one main thing. Um, and then another thing that's really helped me, which a lot of other people might not have access to, is I've been building relationships with a lot of these operators. And it's kind of a small world when you go out there and a lot of people I meet through other people who come referred from other people that I respect who have also vetted them out as well. And so apart from my vetting process, I've got a lot of other peers that are vetting out people as well and have had Trek records with them and have been working with them. Um, and so that really helps me as well and i know a lot of other people won't have that exposure but you know other people could go out there and speak to people in their circles and see if they've had any experience with that operator. Go out and talk to investors that have been invested with that operator and just find out what's it been like. You know, any operator that you speak to should be able to give out some referrals of investors that have been investing with them so that prospective investors can come and talk to them, just ask them a bunch of questions to make sure that the way they operate, the way they handle things is actually going to be a good fit for them.
1: That's, that's brilliant. Um, and what about like this idea of like the exit of whatever you're investing in? How do you, how do you kind of make sure that you're aligned in the same, you know, when you're putting money behind an operator, mm-hmm. how do you make sure you're aligned in terms of what's the exit of that particular investment?
2: You mean if I'm passively investing? Right. Yeah, well, it depends on what my goals are, how, you know, what am I in it for? Am I in it for cash flow? Am I in it for equity? Um, Am I in it for tax benefits? Am I in it to just preserve wealth? Um, obviously you want to look at the actual investment model and see if it's got the characteristics that you're looking for. And one of the things we actually ask all of our investors is what's, the, what's your preferred hold time? How long do you want to store your money in deals? And uh, most people are saying the same things, but you know, in the kinds of deals we do, sometimes you get your money back in 12 months. Sometimes it'll be three to five years. Sometimes it'll be seven years or more. And you've got to make sure that you actually understand the consequences of that. And, and that you're into that. And um, so, you know, we obviously know that before we go into it, we're looking for, you know, maybe we want to park our money for a while and claim big benefits in seven years time, if we understand that upfront front and know that that's actually the exit strategy, then we're, we're happy to park our money in there. But if we need liquidity within the first 12 months, or the first three years, and we know we're not going to be able to actually touch our equity for five years, then that investment isn't going to be the best fit for us right now.
0: Really smart there. All right. As we wrap up here, you you also are a host of Freedom Hack Radio. Yes. Uh, Talk a little bit about that and the purpose of that. Is If our audience wants to find another uh, show to listen to, what would they expect?
2: Yeah. So, you know, when I became financially free, this massive weight was lifted off my shoulders and I really wanted to share that I, I had like 20 years of dissatisfaction in the construction industry going down a path of what I thought was my destiny. And then I awoken to that because I went out looking for it. And then in two and a half years doing something that I love, I created massive, abundant freedom in my life. And now I love my life. And I wanted to share that with people, not exactly to follow my exact path, but their version of what it would look like in their life. So Freedom Hack Radio is really about the freedom trinity of financial time and location freedom is that's actually how I base my life. I can travel all over the world and be wherever I want to be for how long I want to be and still run my businesses and grow my businesses effectively because that's the way that I've set things up and this all happens with a foundation of freedom by growing and expanding and, and remaining in balance with our health our relationships our spirituality and having fun And that's really what we're about at Freedom Hack Radio. A lot of our episodes is me sharing a conversation with top shelf guests in each of those categories. And um, each episode goes for about an hour and we take a deep dive and and have some really juicy conversations. Man, so
0: so cool. All right, Tribe, so 10,000 Miles to an American Dream. Freedom Hack Radio. You have lots of different resources here that you can engage with Bryce. Outside of those
2: specific areas, any other place that our audience should go and listen or, or check you out, Bryce? Yeah, just come see us at uh, Property Works, which is uh, Property Works. Works ends with a Z, USA.com. Um, come check us out. Uh, hit the contact form, and one of our team will reach out to you. All right, man. So, so grateful to have you on.
0: Thank you for for sharing and thank you for listening to this episode as always. Hope that uh, you were able to take a couple of nuggets away from Bryce's talk, that you will uh, pursue that same uh, life freedom, location freedom, freedom as a whole is what we're interested in. So thank you. Have a great day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.